that question for you because if you're like me and you just sat here and you watched that game um, against the Detroit Pistons, you're probably uh, doing pretty shitty. Uh, And to talk about what it feels like to sit and watch a game and then feel shitty afterwards um, is a person who I think has had the pleasure of of bringing those exact sentiments to the podcast a few times already this year, sadly, for him. Uh, And that's Jeremy Cohen. Jeremy, how you doing, bud? I was a lot better three games ago, and two games ago, and a game ago. Uh, <laughs> not as great now. Um, no, uh, not as great now. I well, so we were just talking about you know this game before we before we came on the air, and you know we were talking about okay, well let's let's sum up the game to begin. Uh, it was you know one fifteen one oh eight final. Uh, the last it felt like the last probably four or five minutes was garbage time. Even though the, the Knicks tried to make a run, let me start with this: Was this game as simple as the Knicks not making shots? They shot thirty nine point six percent from the field this game, or did you see something um, more to it than that? It started off great in the sense of they were hitting shots, they went on a run, and then it just started snowballing. I think at a certain point there was a 17-2 to run that the Pistons went on. Yes, 15-2 to or 17-2, to I'm not sure where yeah, it stopped. Yeah, and it, it just it snowballed from there. And it was a, almost to the point where the Knicks couldn't buy a basket, and shout-out, of course, to Alonzo Trier because he seemed to be the only guy who could actually create any sort of offense. Tim was having an off night. Canner, of course... You know, we've discussed this before, but the numbers were there, but a lot of those were tippins and, and that's his job, but at the same time it was offensive rebounds and points to the rim. So it, but it just seemed like everyone was cold. And when you look at the starting lineup, I mean Moutier, four of thirteen, Hardaway, five of fifteen. It, it just and his only was one of three, and I, I still don't quite understand why he's in the starting lineup. We're gonna we're gonna get to him in a bit. Exactly. So, you know, I, the the awful thing is that the Pistons had it's like 45 um, free throw attempts. And I think that's a huge thing. And granted, they missed 13 of them, and yet they still won by seven points. And they shot 29% from three-point range. So, yeah, I think that the, for whatever reason, they just kept getting into foul trouble, they being the Knicks. And they got Robinson out really quickly. Uh, Hazonia had five fouls before you knew it, and they were just constantly at the line. So – a couple things on I want to pick up on two things that you said. One, if you're a Knicks fan and you're you're trying to not feel terrible about this game, I think it's interesting important to note that during that run that the Pistons basically went I think they went from being down, you know, 7, 6 or 7 or 8 whatever in the first quarter to being up by 10, which is essentially really where the lead stayed the whole game. I mean, it got up to whatever it was, maybe 16 or 17 at one point. Never really got below, you know, the high single digits. But really, as far as I'm concerned, the game kind of turned during that first quarter run. And the Knicks during that run had so many good looks, both from three. And their shot profile during that run 
was fine. I thought they hit, they were taking threes and they were taking shots at the rim. And it's like there was a lid on the basket uh, for that stretch. And the, and the only reason I feel like it's important to say that is because it's it's not like, you know, sometimes a team just isn't in a game because they don't bring the requisite effort. I don't think that's what this was. I think they just couldn't buy a basket for the for one really key stretch. And then obviously their offense struggled throughout the rest of the night. But if it wasn't for that stretch where if, if I think if a couple of those went in, um, maybe this was a different game. And the second thing, and I'm going to throw this back to you, obviously the Pistons lived at the foul line tonight. Did you get a sense that, because like, you know, coaches always talk about keep your hands up on defense. When you keep your hands down, that's how you you foul and, and you're not in a good position to defend. Did you get the sense that this was lazy defense, or did you guys? Did you get the sense that this was just, you know, positioning, or you know, Nick's not in the right spots to defend, or where where do you think it came from? I feel like the Knicks line up or match up well with the Pistons. A lot of it, I think, was just no energy because when you play the Grizzlies, that game took a lot out of them. That's true. And then compound that with travel and a turnaround within two days. And then you're playing the Pistons. That can be a, that can be a tough matchup. But there were times where I didn't see active hands, didn't see the the best effort. I mean, there was one moment, just in particular, where Ishmith danced around the basket, and he was one on one with Canner, and Canner's hands were down the whole time, and he only raised them once Ishmith went up for a shot. And it's like, dude, Ishmith is one of the smallest players in the league. Which you is nothing about, new for, and, right. and again, it's it's uh, he's been playing better, and his defense particularly has been better of late. But hands down, for Cantor is is not a new thing. Exactly, and this is just an example of him. I mean, granted, the other players had issues as well, but th- this was just one moment where I saw it, and I thought, like, how can you not be so active? You are you are quite literally the only rim protection in between Ish Smith and the basket. Um, there's also when uh, Reggie Jackson's in transition. There's that. There was one play in particular where it was just like everyone was kind of expecting someone else to to guard him, and once yeah. he blew by Moutier, there were three other guys in the paint, and it was just like, oh, oh well. Yeah, and you know, I think part of this. So, it, I think it's it's a couple things. Like Mitchell Robinson fouled out six fouls in seventeen minutes. I actually thought Mitch looked kind of active on the defensive end, which was a subtle little thing. I was encouraged by um, at least in the first half. Um, but like Noah Vonley's arguably arguably been their their best or second best defensive player this year. He had six fouls in nineteen minutes. Like that's not the norm. I'm not going to be worried about that. Um, Hizonia, <laughs> six fouls in sixteen minutes. Um, I, well, let's let's get to that. Let's have the Hizonia discussion real quick. Um, does he deserve a place in this rotation anymore? Yes or no? In your mind? No. I didn't think he really did beforehand, and I think based on Damian Dotson, 6 of 8, 17 points off the bench in 23 minutes, he should have been starting. You need some sort of offense-defense balance, and if you're not going to have Frank in your starting lineup, you at least need the guy who, in my opinion, is the best two-way player the Knicks have with Porzingis still out. So, yeah, were they winning games with Hazonia in the starting lineup? Absolutely, but was he a reason for that for those wins? No, not necessarily. Precisely. Yeah. So, you know, it just it, it's kind of mind-boggling. And again, I, I understand that Fizz is trying to tinker a lot, and that's perfectly fine. But at the same time, it's just like, dude, Hisonia is not going to be contributing. I don't know why you keep throwing him out there. And I think I know why he was super off tonight. He had two shooter sleeves. Really? I didn't. Yeah, I, I, I didn't even notice that. Okay, that's, it's like that's like wearing two condoms. What? It's not going <laughs> to. 
So I don't know what that. Oh, that is. Uh, we've been, I've been doing this podcast for about a month and a half, and that is officially my favorite line um, from this entire experience. Thank you for that, Jeremy. I, I feel like I needed to wear two condoms after this game tonight. <laughs> um, yeah, I, look, I, and and here's here's been my devil's advocate position on Hazonia, and this has nothing to do with anything on the court. The Knicks. I'm not going to say that the Knicks have never signed a, a big free or even a medium-sized free agent before. They have, but they usually overpay for those guys. Hisonia, to me, was significant because, you know, this organization has been a, a dumpster fire for a long time. They brought in Perry a year ago. Um, I thought Hisonia choosing the Knicks when he could have gone to some other good organizations was significant, and I... I I felt strongly that of all the guys on the roster, maybe aside from the young guys who are going to be here for a while, you needed to give Hazonia a fair chance and a fair shake, really as much as anyone. Um, And I know people are like, that shouldn't matter. All that should matter is what you do on the court. And yes, Fisdale has said, that's all that matters, is what you do on the court, what you do in practice. You know, I... I, you know, I'm, we're not in NBA, the, the NBA locker rooms. I, I don't know how you balance that. I don't know if Fisdale's even necessarily thinking about that. I, I have to think maybe it's in the back of his mind. Like, you don't want to lose this guy who, who took a chance on your program to try to improve his career. But at this point, I, I just I don't know how you... I don't know how you keep him in there. Um, yeah, I don't know how you keep him in there. Um, you talked about Dotson. Um, he was awesome, right? Yeah, 100%. But this is exactly what we've known, and even Fizz knows this. He knows what he's got in Dotson. I mean, he is your prototypical 3 and D style, 3 and D wing, Josh Richardson type. I mean, he's he's great. And again, I, I, I give Fizz the benefit of the doubt because he is a much smarter man than I am. And yet it just – it feels like you've had this guy riding the pine – for multiple games, and yes, you've been winning even though he hasn't been playing, but is he really the reason that you've been winning? Like, Is either is him not playing the reason why you've been yeah, winning? No, no I mean, I, obviously not. And and just uh, in case anybody didn't watch the telecast tonight, uh, Rebecca Harlow had a nice spot on MSG in which she said she talked to Dotson. He said to her that him and Fizz have been on the same page throughout this entire time, even though he wasn't getting in games that Fizz explained why he was doing it and and basically told him, like, look, I'm tinkering right now. Your time is going to come um, again. And it did tonight, and I would expect it to to continue because, as you said, and I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll steal your line, he has been the Knicks' most consistent two-way player this year. Um, I don't think that's – maybe Vonley is close, but um, with the, with the three-point shooting that Dotson gives you, I think he might he might take the cake. Uh, Do we talk about Trier? We we should probably mention the undrafted rookie who scored twenty four points on eleven shots, right? Oh yeah, ten rebounds, seven assists, and he was the only guy who was consistent in the first half. He was constantly penetrating. He is a dream, and I love that he's a Nick. <laughs> I mean, well what else said. could you say? Well, no, no, you. I mean, oh, and by the way, got to the free throw line. A well, dozen good. times. Yeah, it's it's. But you know what the crazy thing is for me, and I I just said it on the Periscope. I feel like we're or not maybe not me and you, but fans are already taking him for granted. It's like, oh yeah, Trier's going to come in and he's going to get buckets. Well, 
no, it it like he's an nobody drafted him like a few months ago. Sixty times people like could have said his name and chose not to, and now he's doing this, and it's like uh, they really. I mean, this I don't. This is not like a franchise altering type of of acquisition because he profiles as like you know a really good six man at his ceiling. But I mean, damn if Perry didn't do his job on this one. I mean, this is the type of thing that if you do nothing else in your draft and you end up with a kid like this, you know, it's a huge win. Um, all right, let's talk about some bad stuff before we go. Um, let's do word association. How about this? Kevin Knox. Yeesh. That's not a word. All right, well, that's it, a, it's that's all right. A, that's and, a and it's sound. On it. Yeah, yeah. It's, all right. Um, I would say it's just one word. Uh, you could do up to three words. Disappointing, but hopeful. All right. That was you know. way more cogent than I, I actually <laughs> wanted it to be. Um, okay, so yeah. I mean, it, Breen said he, he looked lost um, on the telecast tonight. Do you do you agree with that? I would. And a lot of times it seems like he's taking shots at the rim and he's just flailing. He's he's not in good form. He's kind of trying to draw fouls. He He's just throwing the ball up to see if it goes in or to draw some contact. And But yeah, I knew that you tweeted – this past week or last week where uh, his shots, I mean, his shot selection is not bad. Yeah, it's that's not the problem. Good. It's just the shots aren't falling. But he, yeah, he he looks lost. The motor doesn't seem necessarily be there. And it can be a concern where he, the game is just going too quickly for him and he's trying to slow it down. And it's, it's almost, um, it's fascinating how we went into the season expecting so much from Knox and, and being as patient as we need to be with Mitchell Robinson – and through a quarter way through the season, it's completely flipped where well Robinson said. looked so confident out there yeah. and he's learning every game. And sure, he fouled out in, what was it, 17 minutes, but he's he's getting so much information. And Knox, it just kind of seems like, all right, I'll try again. It, it happens, whatever, and, and you go from there. So I'll say disappointing but hopeful because, again, the shot selection is is fine. It's just they're not falling and they don't look pretty when you watch them. Yeah, um, I, I I can't sit here and say that I'm worried about a kid um, who is the third youngest player in the NBA and is, has played in uh, 14 or what is it, 14 or 15 NBA games now. Um, I'm, I mean, is it <laughs> does it suck that he looks completely out of sorts? Yeah, of course it sucks. Anybody who's saying it doesn't suck is lying. Um, but to say that like he's a bust, to say that the Knicks made the wrong pick, I mean, let let's let the year go by and talk about that. Um, by the way, Dotson just had his post-game interview with uh, Harlow, Rebecca Harlow in the locker room, said all the things that you'd expect him to say, basically, that he has been staying prepared, even though he's he'd been out of the rotation, you know, preparing as if he's going to play the next game. Sounds like a guy, you know, his mindset is fine. Um, so I think, yeah, again, no concerns about Dot. Last but not least, uh, before we go uh, and preview the next game and then leave everybody for the evening, um, Frank Nilakina. Um I said on Twitter that I thought he looked very much out of sorts in the first half. Um, do you think I was being too? I'm being too hard on him. Uh, how did you take Frank's performance tonight? No, I didn't think you were being too hard on him at all. It's not pretty when you see goose eggs for his entire stat line and when you watch him 
you you want so much of him to be better and it's just not and every game i remind myself and the same goes for Knox, where it's like if we can see what mudier is showing granted that was not tonight uh he didn't perform well yeah, at he, all he really. didn't shoot it well um but i look and i say okay well if mudier can figure it out at 22 or at least begin to see how things go at 22 then there's at least two years or so for frank there's at least three years or so for Knox. so with frank it's like yeah okay dude you've got to start scoring the ball because at this point just playing defense is not enough yeah it's a great asset and and i'm as one of his staunchest supporters it's it's absolutely incredible um his defensive prowess is great, but if you're not a two-way player, then that really limits what the Knicks are trying to do, <laughs> obviously. So, yeah, it, it's very disheartening, but again, it's like if by the end of the third season he's still the same player, that's when I'm really going to start worrying. Yeah, I I mean, I guess the big thing that I keep, I keep coming around to in my head is, you know, the the coaching staff has clearly made the decision that at, in their mind the correct thing for Frank's development right now is to take the ball out of his hands the thinking being um i would assume that it puts less pressure on him and he still gets his opportunities to handle the ball run the show a little bit and we we see that in spurts every game but it's not the you know, the full time, all right, you got to run the offense while you're out there. Um, I don't know. I, I like, I don't feel like we're in a position to question that decision. Do, do you feel like it, we are? Or uh, are you questioning that decision? I mean, like, how, how do you feel about it? In terms of him, I'm sorry, in terms of him starting or just his, in terms his of inability him, to yeah, not in play terms a point of, guard? Of, in terms of them not putting the ball in his hands. Um, as much and like not yeah. having him be the point guard I'd like to see a mix of both truthfully because I don't think that he is ready to take on sole responsibility of the ball I'd like the fact there are multiple ball handlers it's just in the past when there have been um, he's often left in the corner like especially in the start of the season when you had Burke and Hardaway sure I know that Frank wasn't supposed to be your quote-unquote point guard but he's got to get more touches and I'm fine with him starting. I'm fine with him off the bench so long as he is able to handle the rock. And if that's not happening, that's only going to make his confidence dwindle because if he's if his shots aren't falling and if his defense is good but not good enough where it can completely overcompensate for the lack of offense, if he's not learning, then it's kind of a wasted opportunity. And I don't think development necessarily has to happen where it's like Frank gets 25 minutes and Knox gets 30 minutes. You just run them out there. You can play in stages. You, you can. It's a long season. These guys are going to get tired. It's fine. But if the minutes aren't quality minutes, then yeah. it almost feels like a waste. Yeah, and and I, I like I I, don't, I know he's played I think 15 minutes in each of the last two games. I I felt like, or and even before that, like he, let me say this: he's averaged I want to say 20 minutes over the last over the six games prior to this. And I felt like those six games overall, even though he's only averaging 20 minutes a game, I felt like they were quality minutes in those games. Um, tonight, obviously, not quality minutes, which shows the fact that, again, it's it's not, we need more consistency from him. Um, you know, but as far as like, you know, there was a podcast today on, on the Ringer Podcast Network. Chris Vernon said that he talked to people in the Knicks 
or with the Knicks that they were out on Frank because they felt his shot wasn't falling and um, and that he he wasn't a point guard. And I I just can't for the life of me imagine that this coaching staff would be out on any player on this team just because it goes completely a hundred percent against everything they have said since the beginning of this year. Do you do you disagree with that or, or what are your feelings? We're in complete agreement here. It's the sort of thing where if you're out on Frank right now, you're going against every core value that you've had with we need to develop. We don't care about the wins and losses. We want our guys to have a defensive backbone. That is Frank in a nutshell, probably more than any other player right now on the Knicks. And so, yeah, if if you're not able to struggle with the wins and losses, the ups and downs of each player – then that's a deeper problem, and I don't think that the Knicks organization has that. I think there's a reason why we've heard time and time again that Steve Mills really likes Frank Nielakina's game. Maybe Scott Perry isn't as high on as on Frank as others may be. We we really don't know. But again, it's like these these players need time. The reason that the Knicks are in the position they're in right now is because of years in the past of not letting players develop and then trading them for players who are maybe past their prime or have peaked or are peaking. So, yeah, if you're going to trade Frank, you're going to be down on Frank. Being down on him is one thing. Feeling like, oh, you know, we, we really don't feel like he can survive here. It feels a little extreme based on the fact that he's only been an NBA player for 14 months. Yeah. Um, look, at the end of the day, this is a league um, that is about asset maximization. And... <laughs> Regardless of how Perry or Mills or Fisdale or anybody with the team feel about Frank's, you know, long-term potential in their heart of hearts, for them to basically look at a, a real potential asset, somebody who guys, people around the NBA are really high on his potential, you know, to think that they would look at him and say, you know what, we're gonna kick him to the curb. We we don't believe in him anymore, and we're we're gonna show that, and and that's what this is, you know, gonna be about. It goes against you know every modicum of common sense um, that that you could have. So you want to question how they're developing. You want to him. Do you want to question you know whether they should be playing him more on the ball? I, I understand all that, but to say that like <laughs> they're ready to give up on him, I, that to me makes no sense. Um, all right, I think we're good to go. This was a lot of uh, talk for a good old fashioned. Uh, I mean, it wasn't an ass whooping. It was a. It was just one of those games, I guess, right? It's like death by a thousand paper cups. <laughs> yeah, death by a thousand paper cups. Oh, quickly before we go, um, the Knicks play the Sixers tomorrow night. Um, give us something to think about, something to look forward to, something to be worried about um, about that game. Absolutely. So the Sixers are certainly a different team than they were at the beginning of the season because of Jimmy Butler and the trade that he was acquired in. So. Uh, one thing that's really interesting that I found is the the Sixers are number one within the last six games, which is how many Jimmy Butler has played with the Sixers. Uh, Philadelphia is number one with uh, free throw rate. And, you know, it's actually fascinating that Jimmy Butler keeps playing 36, 37, 38 minutes, even after uh, Tom Thibodeau is no longer his coach, which goes <laughs> to show that there is clearly a, um, a, a bigger – it's not maybe – just Tibbs. It's also Jimmy Butler being as good of a player, and as much as he wants to be out there as well, he is. Um, he is a badass. So that's some. That's something certainly to look forward to. Um, also, 
consider that there are going to be a lot of non-corner threes. Um, in those last six games, the Sixers are third in non-corner, non-corner threes, and the Knicks are fourth. So uh, take that for what you will. But uh, again, the, the jury's still out on who Philadelphia really is and if they are better without Sharch and Covington. So we shall see. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I'm looking forward to kind of seeing uh, how how they are. Um, I guess uh, it's funny. We didn't touch on Fultz at all, which is probably for the best because the last thing I feel like doing right now is talking about potential Fultz fake trades. Um, but I guess we won't we won't see him tomorrow because he's still injured or not injured or whatever the hell he is. Um, all right, Jeremy, you are the best. Uh, plug something before you go. Anything. What do you want to do? All right. Well, uh, I probably mushed Moutier, but I, uh, I wrote an article on Monday about how Moutier's development is really coming along just fine. It's the sort of thing where we put these players down who are maybe high draft picks and we don't let them develop because we, we kind of stick with labels. So us calling him a bust when he's still trying to come out of his shell and really players tend to develop more when they're 21, 22 years old anyway. Um, maybe it's great that we pump the brakes on on the, the shit train, I guess, as an actual train <laughs> rolls by my window. So, uh, yeah, you know, just um, it was for Gotham Sports Network. If you are inclined, it's uh, it's on my Twitter page. I recommend it because I wrote it, and that's that's what I'm going to plug. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're not following Jeremy Cohen, um, I, he's not going to tell you to do so, but I will because he's a great follow. He is one of the brightest young minds out there uh, doing this stuff, uh, not only for the Knicks, but just in the NBA in general. His Twitter handle is uh, the coincidence, C O H E N C I D E N C E. Uh, I take the time to say that because he is a really, really good follow. So make sure you go follow him. Check out his stuff. He is awesome. Um, Jeremy, you made my night with the condom line. I got to say, that was awesome. Um, Thanks. You know, it just came to me. All right, we're done now. That's it. We're finished. Um, thank you for coming on. Uh, thank you out there uh, for listening to another episode of the Next Film School podcast. The Knicks lost, but our spirits are still high. Lots more good stuff coming on the way um, this season. And yeah, thank you for taking the time. We will talk to you soon. Good evening.